Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, so beautiful. And uh, you've heard the sermon now. That's really it. Um, I love that line in that song. Uh, Could a garden grow up from this ground? I would guess that most of us ask that question at one time or another. Maybe you're asking it right now. Given the ground that I'm living on, could a garden grow up from this place, from this space, from this unknown, from this difficulty? And so we're talking about the story of creation today. By the way, our theme this week at Vacation Bible School is Into the Wild. So that's what part of what you're doing is you're uh, in the middle of the jungle and there are some ruins here. There's some stuff going on. But the wildest part of the room is the fact that they've covered up the clock. <laughs> so there is absolutely no order going on in this place today. It will comfort you to know that I did bring my phone with me so that I can uh, know approximately what time it is if I remember to look. So we're thinking today. I, 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 as we talk about creation this morning and we talk about the, the first uh, chapters of Genesis together, uh, we very often read the first chapters of Genesis uh, to find out what God is doing in the earth. It's kind of why we visit the story. And so today I'm asking you to put your sort of Western thinking, Neoplatonist minds rooted in scientific theory aside. And I want to ask you this question. What is this narrative telling us about God? What is it telling us about God? Because I think that has great significance for us this morning. We are practicing in these eight weeks uh, uh, an opportunity to step back and to uh, build together a biblical theology. He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him. And so I asked you this question last week. When you think about the biblical narrative, what do you think about? If somebody were to walk up to you and say, tell me what the Bible says, what would you tell them? Would you tell them a story from the Bible, a piece of the Bible, or would you have some explanation of what the Bible is telling us? What is the story it's trying to convey? Because it does have a cohesive narrative. And we began that conversation last week of saying not only is it important that we have some sort of concise way of saying this is what the Bible is saying, but we also need to somehow understand why that matters to us today. So if I were to ask you, what is the Bible trying to say? You might struggle with an answer for that. And then if I were to say, and what does that have to do with you today? What does it have to do with your circumstances? So you might tell me a story about the children of Israel being delivered from uh, Egypt. And that'd be a great story. It's a great story. You might tell me a story of Daniel in the lion's den. You might tell us one of the parables of Jesus. But if I were to say, what does that have to do with you today? Would that connect in some way? And so we are working together on a biblical theology, a, a, a motif, a narrative that ties the story together. And we're not working on it because we think it's a great academic pursuit, but because the biblical writers felt it was important. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing lots of different genres of literature, 
over a long period of time and, and telling a variety of stories, hundreds and hundreds of stories, the biblical writers have woven together a cohesive narrative. And we talked last week about design features that, that tie the narrative together, how great authors and great storytellers understand how to keep the themes working. And the biblical writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are, are doing that in very powerful ways. And so today we, we talk a little bit about the fact that this is a story of creativity and why that matters to you and why that matters to me. I think there are moments in Scripture when we are given summary statements. And I'm going to highlight some as we make our way through this series. But I want to highlight one today. And, and here it is. It's Jesus speaking. And so when you say, what's the point of the Bible? What's the story of God? Here, here is the story of God summed up by Jesus himself. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. John 10.10. 10. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. If you just said, what was Jesus about? What's God doing to his son, Jesus Christ? What's the biblical narrative telling us? It's telling us, here's a summation statement. That there is a force that comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But God is present that we might have life and have it to the full. Those are two very different narratives. And sometimes when we think about the thief coming to steal and to kill and destroy, we personify that into the person of Satan and we talk about evil and that's a conversation we can have. The Bible certainly hasn't. <laughs> but, but in another sense, there's another thing that's going on in that statement. And that is, life has a way, there is a force at work in you and in me that threatens to steal and kill and destroy but God has come that we might have life and have it to the full. There is something in life that lulls you to sleep. There is something in life that causes you to miss what's most important. There's something in life that causes you to look at the outcomes of life or at the situations of life or the circumstances of life in ways that fill you with more anxiety than hope. Amen. Or is it just me? <laughs> and so Jesus is saying, listen. There are two very distinct narratives. He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him. Anybody know the rest of that verse? That's Isaiah 26, 3. Because we trust him. Because we trust him. He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him because we trust him. And so when I say to you, you need to fix your eyes and fix your mind on God and he'll keep you in perfect peace, what does that mean to you? Think spiritual thoughts? Think no thoughts, hum, chant. What does it mean? Well, at least from a biblical perspective, it means understand the narrative. And so Jesus says, listen, there is a narrative about life that says it is all about dying and things getting stolen and things being destroyed. But there is another narrative about life, and in it, God is in it for you to experience life to the fullest. Now, let me ask you this question. Which narrative plays most prominently in your heart and in your mind and in your story? Because you don't have to talk to somebody very long before they, are, they will tell you one of these narratives. <laughs> very quickly, they'll say, well, you can't believe all the things that happen. Someone is stealing and killing and destroying in their narrative. Something's being taken away from them in their narrative. And I don't know about you, but that is an easy argument to make about life, isn't it? All we have to do is tell what's happening to us. 
But the biblical invitation is to say, that's not all that's happening. Though the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, I am come that you might have life and have it to the full. And, and how do we believe such things? We buy into the narrative. We hear the story. We listen carefully to it and to what it's telling us. The narrative is rooted very early on in these biblical design patterns that we've talked about a little bit. And so today I, I want to very specifically focus in on uh, the story of creation as told for us. Uh, let me highlight for you the reading of the scripture from Genesis 1. And uh, I'm going to share with you what our children have been doing. And this is the way this passage has been presented to them over the last few weeks. In the beginning, God created the sky and the earth. The earth was empty and had no form. Darkness covered the ocean, and God's Spirit was moving over the water. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, so he divided the light from the darkness. God named the light day, and the darkness night. Evening passed, and morning came. This was the first day. Then God said, let there be something to divide the water in two. So God made the air and placed some of the water above the air and some below it. God named the air sky. Evening passed and morning came. This was the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered together so the dry land will appear. And it happened. God named the dry land earth and the water that was gathered together seas. God saw that this was good. Then God said, Let the earth produce plants, some to make grain for seeds, and others to make fruits with seeds in them. Every seed will produce more of its own kind of plant. And it happened. The earth produced plants with grain for seeds, and trees that made fruits with seeds in them. Each seed grew its own kind of plant. God saw all this was good. Evening passed and morning came. This was the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the sky to separate day from night. These lights will be used for signs, seasons, days, and years. They will be in the sky to give light to the earth. And it happened. So God made the two large lights. He made the brighter light to rule the day and made the smaller light to rule the night. He also made the stars. God put all these in the sky to shine on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that all these things were good. Evening passed and morning came. This was the fourth day. Amen. So for just a moment, sure, you can applaud that. So for just a moment, we're, we're thinking together and we read this story and we think about this story and we think about the, the story of origins and that's great. Uh, but let's think a little bit more in a biblical narrative, theological mode. And so I'm asking you today to think just a little bit, set aside your scientific minds for a moment and think about what this narrative is telling us about the greater story about God. We understand what it's telling us about the earth. What is it telling us about God himself? And the first thing that I want you to notice is that at the opening of this narrative story, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, 
we find that there is a condition, and the condition is that the world is without form and void, and God hovers over the deep. So there's two things I want to draw out of this early part of the narrative. Number one, God hovers over the deep. Now, the deep for the ancients represented everything that's unknown and everything that's threatening and everything they couldn't explain and everything that, that seemed to have some sort of mystical menace to it. And so as they write the story under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they are telling us that God's response to this place called the deep, this place called the void, this place called the nothingness, was that he hovered. That's a pretty nice attribute. But not only does he hover over the deep, then he also into this place of chaos brings order. So let's talk about those two things for just a moment. I don't know about you, but I am conflict-averse. I don't like it. I don't thrive in that environment. Some people like it. Some people love it. They believe, you know, there's nothing better than a good debate to get down to the... Ah! They're on Facebook. <laughs> Others of us, not so much. We wither away in conflict. We don't like arguing. We are sort of like, ugh. I, and I think that's not just, for me, that's not just about conflict. That's about anything that doesn't work right. I don't like anything that doesn't work right. So when I go to my house and my wife says, ugh, something's broken in my hand. Ugh. And, you know, she's just trying to tell me it's broken. But my inner spirit goes, yeah, I'm out of here. I don't want to fix one more thing. Let's burn the whole thing down. I don't. I mean, how many of you have this conversation? Let's just live in a tent. Can't we get like a little double-wide trailer somewhere and just forget all this? Let's simplify. You know, isn't that funny? Let's simplify. I bought another book on simplifying life. I bought another book to simplify life. Because, you know, we don't like things that are dysfunctional. We don't like people that are dysfunctional. We don't like governments that are dysfunctional. <laughs> that was an oxymoron. <laughs> I mean, there just aren't any other kinds, are there? And so my response to dysfunctional things and conflict and chaos is to push away from it. I want to push away from it. In fact, somebody, somebody came in earlier and said, oh, I needed a vacation. I needed to get away from it all. Don't we feel that way? I mean, how often do we go through a week in our life and we go, wouldn't it be nice to go away? And isn't that trouble of looking at Facebook? They're where? Oh, I want to be there. I want to go away. And we have that sort of sense of us. Here's what would give me peace to escape. Here's what I'd love. I want to get away. But God's response to dysfunction and disorder and chaos and the deep, the mysterious unknown, the thing that causes anxiety, the thing. Here's what the ancients wanted us to know about God. God hovers here. He hovers here. And here's what's so important about that. So often the chaos and the disorder and the thing that causes the deep anxiety in my life are my fault. And I don't know about you. But I assume because I don't like disorder and I don't like dysfunction and I don't like people that are disordered and dysfunctional that God feels that way about me. That when I'm broken, he doesn't want to be around me. 
that he doesn't like to associate and be around things that are broken or disorderly. But right at the beginning of the narrative, they say, over the chaos and over the void and over the disorder and over the deep, and that phrase is so important, God hovered. He gathered up those things that are broken and disordered, and he stays right there. He's not going anywhere. And then the second piece of the truth is that he not only hovers, but now he begins to bring order out of the chaos. He begins to bring order out of the chaos. Now, this is profound, and it's not just any kind of order. In the beginning, God created, and he gave us lots of spiritual platitudes to hang on to. Wouldn't that have been awesome? And the world was formless and void, and God hovered over the deep, and then he said to us, don't worry, be happy. (laughs) Amen? I mean, isn't that the cultural philosophy? Hey, you're upset. Don't worry. Be happy. I sometimes when I'm, especially with kids in premarital, I talk about the difference between men's brains and women's brains. Because we should start out in a conversation like that that says they are not alike. Because men tend to have compartments for brains, and we store things in neat little packages and compartments. Conveniently forgetting many things. Amen. Because you can ask us a question, and we can give you an answer from that compartment. There may be more answer in another compartment, but you didn't ask the question quite correctly. <laughs> and the last thing we're going to do is be pulling things out of compartments that don't need to be because you know what happens then? Disorder and chaos. Keep our brains clean. We have a compartment called nothing. What are you thinking about? Nothing. I don't think that's possible. Yes, it is. (laughs) Did you hear what I said? Nope. I mean, yes. Because now I'm in another compartment. Compartment where I'm supposed to be listening, but I'm not. This is not what a woman's brain is like. A woman's brain is a ballroom. A round room. There are no corners, no closets. Everything is in the room all the time. All the time. Everything is in the room. Woman is an amazing creature. She can remember everything at once. If there are a thousand things in her brain and 999 are good, but one is not that good, guess which one's getting most of her attention? And then men give compartmental advice to women with a ballroom. Just relax. Don't think about it. This is compartmental advice coming from a man who is able to go, I don't want to think about that anymore, so I'm not going to. I'm going to visit a compartment where this problem doesn't exist. See you later. (laughs) It's kind of what our culture does to us, because they say to us, these very integrated human beings, they say to us, don't worry, be happy. And over at the church we say, oh, listen. In all things, God works for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. And we go, yeah, but I still got to go face the dragon. I still got to go deal with the problem. I still have to live in the circumstances. 
So God hovered over the deep and over the chaos and over the disorder. And he didn't give spiritual platitudes. Instead, he took action. And what action did he take? Well, on day one, he says, we're told in the scripture that he separated the light from the darkness. Now, that's a fascinating thing to say, isn't it? Because we all know that you cannot ever have the light and the darkness mixed together. What a funny phrase. He separated the light from the darkness. But you can't. These are mutually exclusive terms. Because if you have darkness, you can't have light. And if you have light, you can't have darkness. They, they wipe one another out. But the ancients didn't understand that this was a physical statement. They understood that what they were conveying is that God was changing the condition of the world. From chaos and disorder to one where there was a period of light and there was a period of darkness. And so if you're trying to really follow the logic of the story, you should know that the sun and the moon don't get created till day four. So the point is not about the sun and the moon and the physical creation of this moment. The sun, the, the, the point is about the separation. That now there's going to be a period of light and there's going to be a period of darkness. And he called the light and he called the darkness night. And then it says the first day. And there was evening and morning the first day. And we are in this very first moment of creation given the gift of time. There's structure being created out of the chaos. There is order being set to the chaos. Day one. Now day two comes. And in day two, uh, the ancients are telling us a story about God in which we understand this. The ancients understood that the whole... This is a, just the power of observation. The ancients understood that as they walked along and they experienced the world, it was full of water. Water was everywhere. In fact, you, you could walk along and there were lakes and rivers and streams and, and all kinds of... And then there were springs. Water came up out of the ground. And if you dug down into the ground, what did you find? So they understood that underneath them there was... And that it showed up in all kinds of places. And then they also understood that there were storms. And so not only did water come up out of the ground, it also fell from the sky. So on day two, God separates the firmament... And he puts in a place where there is a livable space for human beings. And above is water and below is water. That's the understanding. In fact, the Hebrew here is very powerful. It says God built a dome to push back the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. <laughs> Separate them out so there's a little tiny air bubble. This will make you anxious. little tiny air bubble for us to live in. And then there was an understanding that if... God let too much water fall down from the sky, we would have a condition called a flood. And if he let too little water come down from the sky, we'd have a condition called a drought. And so what happens in day two is we've established time, the separation from the period of light, from the period of darkness, and now we have established a pattern of weather. So now there is a pattern that's beginning to happen that will nourish the earth with water, but protect it from a flood. Pretty nice. Over the void, God hovers. He embraces this place of disorder. He embraces the deep. He's not going anywhere. But out of this disorder and void, he is bringing not spiritual platitudes, but structural order. Day three. 
Day three is interesting because on this day, God doesn't create anything. He does order things that have already been created. And so out of the vegetation that has already been created, he orders it to bear fruit, to begin now to bear seeds. And the seeds will bear fruit in kind, and, and some fruit will have seeds in it, and they will bear fruit in kind. And there is now this order that is being created that, that day one there was a separation for time and then there was weather and now there is a provision made so that human beings will have something to eat, food. And so out of the chaos, God is bringing very specific order for the benefit of his creation. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so I am gifting you with a world. I am hovering over the chaos. And out of the chaos, I am extracting order. Order that is for you. I don't know about you, but I like the fact that the sun goes down in the evening and we all get to go to bed. Sleep is awesome. Some of you are doing it right now. <laughs> I mean, what an incredible reality that we get to sleep. I mean, not all of us are able to sleep as we get older. Remember when that used to be a thing where you like, you know, you'd stay up all week at college and you'd get like two hours a night because you were, and then Saturday would come and you would sleep hours and 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 hours. And you'd eat and then you go back to sleep. Remember that? Yeah. And now we, you know, drink potions and take melatonin and, you know, we have, you know, heating pads and weighted blankets and, you know, put a chicken in a pillowcase and swing it over to our head. Because we all want to sleep. It gets harder as you get older, doesn't it? There's a myth that you don't need as much sleep as you get older. That's just what we tell ourselves because we just don't sleep as much. <laughs> I guess I don't really need to sleep. But what a gift, isn't it, when you have a good night's sleep? Man, a gift to your soul. Renews, I mean, I've said this for years around our house. I've never done it, but I think it's a good idea. And that is, what we really need at our house is a tranquilizer gun. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Because there are times when the chaos and the deep and the disorder is running at a level where you just want to go, you know what? Y'all all need to go down for about eight hours. <laughs> Amen. I mean, eight hours from now, the world's going to look way better. Because sleep has a way of renewing us, doesn't it? It has a way of resetting our, our focus and our perspective. It not only rests our body, it, it renews. And there's something very powerful about the reality of sleep. And God doesn't just say platitudes over us. He creates out of the chaos a world where there's night and day, where there's a functionality of sleep to renew our minds and renew our hearts and renew our bodies. I'm not just saying good words over you. I'm creating order. And then day two, we're created. We're told then, 
as this story begins to unfold on day four, we're told, okay, so then he hangs the sun and the moon, and then he says, from this will come all the seasons, the, the days, the weeks, the years, the months, and the seasons of the calendar are born, day four. And I don't know about you, but how many of you have ever lived in a place with seasons? A lot of Southern Californians in the room who are just not raising their hands. You know, they're just like, I don't know, what do you mean? We have seasons here. Fire, flood. <laughs> but it is hard to live in a place that has seasons and not be caught emotionally in the seasons. Because there is something significantly happening in the cycle of the year. And so, you know, when the fall comes and, and it begins to die and the colors are vivid and the leaves are falling and, you know, the, the, the summer that's been full of foliage and you can't see your neighbor's house because the tree is full of leaves and you can't see across the street. And, and then suddenly you can see all the way downtown because there's no more, everything has fallen. And you feel this, the earth retracting and the days getting shorter and, and you feel it all. And then winter comes and there is a certain kind of death that's taking place. And in places that have real winter, you know, you just look around and you just say, everything is so brown. And I love it. People go, I love the snow. <laughs> well, you love to look at the snow out the window. You know what I'm saying? You don't love to drive in the snow or scrape it off your car or manage it. Because it's just covering up a dead earth. And then spring comes. And out of what was so desolate and broken and dead, there is life. And, and it does something to you. I mean, it's not just something you see or smell. It does something inside of you. And you say things like this, Oh, I have spring fever. I can't go to work today. Because inside your body, it's like, I just want to be out here in this life. I just want to... Be, I don't want to think about anything. I don't want to do anything. I've been reborn in this spring moment. <laughs> and, and, and it really happens. It's not a thing that just we think about or we try to. It really happens to you. You live in the seasons and things happen in that cycle of your life. And God established these things. It's a part of his creative genius out of the chaos and the disorder and the void. He doesn't just speak good words. He, he creates an order that is designed to renew our soul and feed us. at the. I don't know about you, but I celebrate food. I am a fan of food. Food means something. You know, my mom's coming to town here in a few days. And, and one of the things that will happen when my mom comes to town is my kids and me, we will say, Mom, here are the things you're going to need to cook. care how old you are. <laughs> Amen? It's not about you right now. It's about us. We'll prop you up at the stove and you're going to come. I mean, I, I mean, you wonder how long this can keep going on, you know. But she's willing and we're like, okay. Because cause it's not just about eating the food. It's about something that is ingrained in my soul. It's about going home. It's about experiencing something that is precious and valuable. And if you think that I'm just reading this into the text, you do understand that what's about to happen in the flow of the narrative 
is that now we have this brief little moment in which God has created from this chaos this incredible order. And then just a couple of chapters later, he's going to open up the ground and he's going to open up the sky. And in the narrative, the water is going to overtake everything again. Remember how the story flows? See, you've always just told the story of creation and the story of the flood. But these two things are intimately connected in the narrative. And when the flood is over, what is he going to say? Just in case you think I'm making this all up. Chapter 8, verse 22. Wow, it's way back here. Way, way, way back here. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. You, you notice anything unique about that? Let's look at it again. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. They are the exact story of Genesis 1 told in reverse. Starts with the food, talks about the seasons, talks about the day and night. That he reorders the world around this. This is what God is doing. This is who he is at the heart. He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him. What is the story? What is the Bible telling us? God hovers over the deep. He hovers over the deep in your life. The things that you don't like. The things that you think are ugly. The things that you don't understand. The things that create anxiety and fear. God is drawn into that space and holds that space. He's not going anywhere. You're not scaring him away. He's not giving up on you. He's not offended by you. In the face of disorder and chaos and the deep, he wraps his arms around us, around our story, around where we're headed, and he hovers right there. And then he begins to create order out of the chaos. Not some spiritual platitude, though let's hang on to every one of those we can get. <laughs> but he begins to bring real order to the benefit of you, of your story, of your life. Things you can really use, things that really matter. <laughs> Not just thoughts in your head, but genuine reordering of the disorder into a way that benefits you. I will in all things work for your good. See, it's no longer spiritual platitude, is it? Now it's a promise in the narrative. And just so we know, this pattern will emerge over and over and over and over. God hovering over the chaos and disorder, bringing order, bringing life. And there begins to emerge a message. And here's the message. God created the world out of nothing. He can handle your situation. God created everything out of nothing. He can work with what you've got. If he can do this, he can take care of this. You understand the narrative? You understand the biblical writers? I, I, I know you're all looking at me like, you are making this stuff up. No, I'm really not. God continuously will enter in. We talked last week about how water keeps showing up 
over and over in the biblical narrative, water representing chaos, the promises of God consistently on the other side of the water. You know, the children of Israel delivered from slavery, the great exodus moment, uh, and they have to cross through the water to get on to the promises of God. Joshua leading the children of Israel into the promise, and they have to cross through the water. Jesus immersed in the water, through the water, through the chaos, through the deep. Everything's through the deep. And some of you are in the deep right now. Some of you are in the middle of the chaos. You're living in the void, and you're trying somehow to fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith, but you don't know what to look at, and you don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> Let me encourage you. God is embracing the disorder, and he will bring order out of the chaos. Live the narrative. The thief comes to steal and to kill, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Which narrative are you applying to the disorder of your story and of your life? He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him because we trust him. And you can trust him with the void and the deep and the disorder because he in all things is working for your good. God, would you help us to recognize in these moments that not everything in our life is good. A lot of it falls into the category of disorder, the deep, the unknown, the things that trouble us and cause us fear, the things we don't get to control and we don't understand. Would you remind us in the middle of that reality that you embrace that place? And as you embrace that place and you put your creative genius to work, you who created everything out of nothing can handle the chaos in which we find ourselves. Chaos that the world created, chaos that circumstances created, chaos that other people created, chaos that we created. You hover and hold and you bring order. And because we, we live and believe this narrative, we at all times can find a place in our heart to sing these words, it is well, through it all. Through it all, our eyes are on you, and it is well. May it be true in our stories, in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. We pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, will you stand as we respond to his word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.